Hey mom, first things first, thank you. It's my one year anniversary of my decision to say, yes, I need help, and yes, I choose me. And that's the miracle. I'm lucky that the strongest person I know is my own mother. Love you, mom, Maxwell. Be that strong person who makes the difference. If your loved one is struggling with drugs and alcohol, reach out to Karen for a different kind of addiction treatment. Visit caron.org slash lost. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. What's happening, everybody? It is your stand-wielding bruiser, Holden McNeely. And it is I, your hormone-using uh, bruiser. <laughs> I just said bruiser. Oh. We got two bruisers this week. Of course we do. I'm breathing and using the power of the sun to not kill a frog. <laughs> Dude, holy lord. By are... applying spin to my fingernail, I create a perfect mathematical bullet. <laughs> I've got to say this right now. If you know what this franchise is, you are you are salivating at the mouth for this episode right now. If you do not know what this franchise is and you're looking at your uh, uh, iPhone or whatever you have very skeptically right now, stay with us. We will explain what is so phenomenal about JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. I really kind of started watching it like early on in our doing Wizard of the Bruiser together, and I have been on a magical journey, people. People, please join. It is so much fun. All the episodes are on Hulu and Crunchyroll. And this is some. This is something I want to get off the bat right away. Yeah. Like day, like second number one. Um, you're gonna think we're spoiling things, but the magic. Like I don't. I can't think of any other franchise, any other uh, 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 property in the history of pop culture that this what this law that I applied that I'm applying uh, applies to besides JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. We can describe what happens in JoJo's Bizarre Adventure till our faces turn blue, and it will not ruin it yeah, for yeah. you. Yeah, it is. It is about the spectacle. It is about the rules and the twists and turns that the rules take on every single episode. When I was in college, I like dove into the wikis and like all the blogs, and like I know I read exactly what happens at every point of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure and still when the anime came out I was like what <laughs> and like I knew what was going to happen but seeing it happen was so amazing my favorite thing when talking about JoJo is just saying random bullshit like well of course when uh, Vanilla Ice chops off his own head and then becomes a vampire like and then and like I just said that it happens but you're still not ready for when Vanilla Ice chops his own head off and becomes a vampire <laughs> alright so first of all before we go into anything else 
else, I have to give the shout out to the patron who donated for this episode a long while back. And I have to say, first of all, to you, sir, the only reason why it took us this long to do this episode is because of how seriously we are take this subject mm-hmm. and how bad. Like, I literally crammed JoJo's episodes all the last week just just like trying to get caught up enough to really be able to speak as fully as possible about the show as I could. Nicholas Petkoski, thank you so much. Also, he sent me a Barrett doll and some Batman Legos Aww. a long time back, so shout-outs for that as well. Co- I'm, I'm- uh, here, here is your pitch. Co-producer, actor in the Strange in Unusual podcast. Radio dramas died an age ago, but with the twin dark arts of podcasting and satire comes... The Strange and Unusual Podcast, a small, twisted family of bizarre stories from a clutch of gleefully mad writers and performers. We tell scary stories to make you laugh and funny stories that will drive you mad with terror. If you ever wanted Buffy to enjoy her job, Scooby and friends to beat up the ghost, or Beetlejuice and Lydia to go on adventures, but with cussing, then come in! We would like to entertain you. Again, the strange and unusual podcast. And again, shout outs to Nicholas Petkoski. He's the one you want to thank on Facebook if you're a huge JoJo fan and are uh, really happy to be getting this episode today. So Jay- I'm glad I'm glad you're saying that we held off because uh, we were just truly dedicated fans and serious podcasters and not the real answer, which is I was waiting for them to announce fucking part five of the anime <laughs> and David Production has been sitting on their fucking asses with their more profitable Monster Hunter series. So is that what's going on? It, because I didn't know where we actually were with the anime coming out. I know that we're at part eight with the manga, right? We're at part eight of the manga. And I wasn't sure if part five uh, in the anime had already come out in Japan. Nope, it has. it's not been announced yet. Wow, it that is, is insane. Well, I watched an interview that recently came out with uh, the creator, which we'll get into, uh, but he basically just laid out the line that Making the show is very expensive, and there's this weird energy where uh, part five is where, like, the true fabulousness went into overdrive, and it's incredibly popular in Japan, but in America, it's, like, almost poisonous, and so, like, whether or not they can justify the costs yet, they can't, like, quite wrap their heads around, but here's the other secret double extra fact, which is... um, Part five relies heavily on a lot of Prince references. Ah. And Prince is one of the most notoriously Sue happy musicians to have ever lived. But now he's out of the picture. We hope. (laughs) We We hope. hope. He could sue from beyond the grave. (laughs) Um, So anyways, uh, I, I guess we'll start off. Before uh, uh, before we get it really get into it, um, let's, with let's, our personal experience okay. with the uh, with the whole thing with the whole business. Okay. Uh, so for me, Jake, uh, you kind of helped turn me on to this one, right? Oh, because I was frothing, screaming at yeah. every opportunity, telling you to watch this. You were like telling me to watch it, kind of right when we first started doing Wizard and the Bruiser. It was kind of one of those like, "Hey, get on board with me with this. If we're gonna like do this podcast together, you should probably <laughs> like know what this is, and this will be a good way, you know, or whatever." I started watching because, and this, I'm throwing Jake under the bus for this one. Uh, I live under the bus. I was born <laughs> under the bus. I have never <laughs> known the light of the sun, for I have forever been under the fucking bus. <laughs> so, Jake, I was like, "Where should I start, Jake?" And a lot of people are like. I feel like when that question gets asked on Facebook or something, immediately people go, from the beginning. No. But you were like, 
you can start wherever. Just start it. Just started uh, season three, and I was like, okay, cool. I'll start at season three then, which is bonkers insane. So that's the whole point seasons, of JoJo's. There are three seasons of the anime. Let's kind of lay this out really quick. There are three seasons of the anime. Well, there we have are to eight break parts down to the, the manga. Parts. Yeah, the, the part thing. system. So there are two parts. The first season is parts one and two. It's also the shortest season, I believe. Right? There's like. Part one, which is a short season. Part two goes on a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. And then part three ended up getting divided into like two seasons. It's crazy long. Well, it's season two on Hulu, at least, is part okay. all, of, all of Stardust Crusaders, all of part three. And then um, part four is season three. So it gets a little confusing there, right? So season three is all part four, which is Diamond is Unbreakable. Diamond is Unbreakable is insane. We'll get into it. But anyways, I started watching Diamond is Unbreakable. Oh, wait. I'm kneecapping you immediately. Let's try and avoid... All like as much as we can, terms like crazy okay. and insane okay. because there's a logic to it. There is a deliberateness to <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, for like, sure. There is an energy there that if you just kind of just go like it's a bonkers goo goo gaga show, like people don't quite understand what makes right. it so incredible. So it's okay from to the layman who is not uh you know who is just viewing it for the first time. I was like, whoa, 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 what is <laughs> happening? Uh, and it's got a lot of style, and it's very. Un- it felt very unique from any anime I'd ever seen. I got about thirteen episodes in, and here's the first spoiler: you run into uh, uh, Joe Star's father comes into the picture. Correct? Yeah, his father, right, or grandfather? Father. Joe Taro Kujo. Yeah, not a Joe Star. Okay. Uh, oh, okay. Uh, related to Joe Star, he comes in the picture like thirteen episodes in, and knowing that it was all a lineage situation. I was just, and I just, I was so kind of blown away by what this show was. I said, you know what? Fuck it. I, I'm enjoying this too much. I want to, I want to see where all of this came from. I want to see the evolution of all of this. And so I went all the way back to season one, which is like said in the fucking 1800s. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's like completely bonkers, bananas, crazy, uh, uh, uh not crazy. Sorry. It's not insane. Uh, what was I just saying? I started it, I I went back to season one, and it it is only crazy just to see how it starts in, what, the 1800s? And the show I was just watching was like modern day Japan. The 80s, that was Oh, it was the 80s? Oh, okay. Uh, Is Diamond is Unbreakable is the 80s? Diamond is Unbreakable is in the 90s. That's what I'm saying. I started it 90s Japan, and then ended up in like, and then ended up going, I want to see where this all started, and now I'm in the 1800s, and the show feels- Cheerio, clip, clop. And the show feels incredibly different, you mm-hmm. know? While, while different, but the same, right? Um, so anyways, and I have to say, I had to cram really hard. I've been kind of watching the show on and off uh, since we started doing Wizard and the Bruiser, right? Mm-hmm. That's It's a lot of episodes. Um, but I made, I managed, I'm happy to say last night I finished the third season of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. I, I have completed Stardust Crusaders. Wow. And I'm very proud to say that that was, uh, I think 48 episodes in season two. Uh, there's like 20 some, 26, I believe episodes in season one. And I saw, I've seen like almost half of, uh, the episodes that, uh, can make a uh, season so I am fucking in there, man. I've seen so much. It, it is, it is, in just so much stuff uh, has happened. <laughs> <laughs> it, this show to me is just, just jam packed with style. This show just has so much style and so much uniqueness, and that is why I was very excited to do a Wizard of the Bruiser on this show because it. I, I was dying to know where all of this came from, mm-hmm. you know, where all of this derived from. Because obviously, there's so many different things that are derivative of something, 
right, that are kind of mashed together in, in this beautiful, interesting way to make the, what we get with JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. And um, and I was very pleased with my findings. I'll just say that. Jake, how about yourself? Uh, I even when I was like in seventh or eighth grade, I was introduced to like '90s VHS era anime and uh, the. Uh, original uh stardust crusaders oav ova uh-huh the ova uh, yeah uh came out uh alongside with the fighting game the 32-bit uh capcom fighting Ooh. game and so there was this presence of jojo was always around and i would just like because nothing else looked like it the art style was incredibly unique the character designs were incredibly unique uh you play the game and like there's a there's a boston terrier fighting a belly dancer who's fighting a guy with a sword with a shadow man like every nothing you know there's no context a lot of i feel like pre-internet uh anime fandom was about getting exposed to a brief glimpse of something just the merest sliver of a greater media empire and then having to piece together on your own and so uh i was always aware of jojo's bizarre adventure going on like uh fucking anime forums and like a uh, fucking wasted teenage year or two on 4chan. Uh, there would always be these JoJo fans who were super, uh, uh, super dedicated. And like, you know, it was almost like an insulated, like weird group, this cult-like group dedicated to this show that was indecipherable from the outside. Um, but it wasn't until the David production anime that I finally got to dive into it. And it just delivered so hard and was so entertaining and, Especially uh, in the in the age of the simulcast stream anime, week after week, it felt like the entire internet was celebrating with new memes and new revelations. And uh, the people I worked with at Dorkly got into it, and people at College Humor got into it. Uh, we started doing episodes about it on Drawfee, and the fans were getting into it. And it was just, it felt like um, the thing that I compare JoJo to the most is professional wrestling. Because it's impossibly deep. The lore goes back decades. The characters are at once like unbelievable and fantastical and make barely any sense. But at the same time, they're like charming and like addictive and you always want to see what they're up to next. And uh, it really, truly just hits a point that uh, that a lot of modern animes don't specifically because it goes back so far. You know, uh, this was created in the 80s back when the shonen anime genre, you know, stuff like uh, Dragon Ball, Naruto, Bleach, One uh-huh. Piece, all that stuff. Uh, the rules weren't written yet. And uh, the creator was just kind of making it up as he went along in a in a pretty much a vacuum, if not reacting specifically to not be like everyone else. Right. So it's uh, that com- combined with like the uh, the fact that he's obsessed with history and art and travel and, and horror films and, horror and ro- fi- uh, uh, 70s and 80s rock and roll music right. uh, american rock and roll music and uh fashion high fashion is a big one as well and that all kind of melds together there's this interesting um like strongman like a there's like effeminate aesthetics and like strongman vibes that that kind of bend your your the the original sort of uh, prototype for what this show and 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 manga is normal like for the shonen style yeah. right and I think that that is one of the most alluring uh, things to especially starting with Diamond is Unbreakable it really brings you like oh no wow. he was he was fab like if you look at the original manga like right. uh, 
I mean, uh, uh, battle tendency. Are you saying he was fabulous to begin with? Was that what he you were was about to say? very fabulous, <laughs> very quickly. Fabulous is a good word. Insane, not so much, but fabulous. That's a good word to describe. Joe uh, Sarbinger. Anyways, I feel like I interrupted you. Sorry. Oh no, no, no. Uh, specifically, one of the things that set him apart was uh, he studied art history and had a lot of like reference guides. So. Those initial, those powerful JoJo poses that we yes. like associate with the series. A JoJo pose is uh, usually a, uh, uh, marked by a bizarre placement of the arms in like various unlikely elbow positions, uh, <laughs> twisting torsos, yes. uh, legs sticking in different directions, just very unnatural body placement. But those were poses that were popularized in fashion photography yes. and renaissance sculpture and we'll get deeper into those specific yeah. uh, influences in just a little bit once we get into the more the but history. he was still drawing muscly like anime superhero protagonists right so the the juxtaposition of these powerful figures in these artistic uh poses is just a microcosm for all the ways that uh joseph's bizarre adventure kind of Gives you what you want, which is like adventure and action and, uh, you know, the the hero's journey quest, but tempered with aesthetics that are completely unlike anything else out there. And like, and then ultra violence mixed in with it, too. Oh, you super know? violent, like, scatological, uh, molesty. Uh, <laughs> everyone is screaming at all times. Mm-hmm. There's so much screaming in this that Lexi like loves to kind of uh, Le- Lexi finds my enjoyment entertaining mm-hmm. of uh, of the show. It's just like everyone is screaming always, even if it's like a very simple back and forth. Sometimes they'll just be yelling, and it's very fun. Um, it's just very, it's very, it's very in your face. It's very big. Everything about the show is big. You know, mm-hmm. um, just like wrestling. Yeah, just like wrestling. Um, so, so, okay, um, let's get into it. I think the best place to start would be with the history of Hirohiko Araki, right? I mean, what, whatever, whatever slivers we can get a hold of, because the guy (laughs) is squirrely. (laughs) <laughs> he was born in June of 1960 in Sendai, Japan. By the way, Hirohiko Araki, is that the way, best way to pronounce his name? That's how I'm going to say it. All right. He is the the mind lord behind mm-hmm. JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. He, he, The artist and the writer, everything. Okay? So that's, that's of course, why we have to go in, in as in-depth as we can into his background and history and all of his influences. He had two twin younger sisters who he didn't get along with, and he attributed this to why he stayed in his room alone reading manga. The most important manga to him when he was a small child was the one called I to Makoto. Uh, this translates to For Love's Sake. It was written by Iki Kajiwara and drawn by Nageyasu Takumi. It is uh, about a high school girl from a well-to-do family who decides to rehabilitate a young, tough bully who blames his predicament on an accident he had involving the girl from way back when, which gave him a scar while she was left unscathed. Um, let me let me uh, roll back a second for sure. uh, this. Uh, the thing about his sisters, I feel like, is actually super key. Sure, sure. To Araki and what makes JoJo kind of captivating. Uh, he talks about this a few times. Uh, I'm mostly leaning on a lecture he gave in like 2006 uh, okay. at a university in Japan, or no, it was like a high school. He had these two twin sisters, 
and uh, they were just they would just constantly fuck with him. Uh, a thing he says is like, uh, if my mom put out three snacks, uh, my sisters upon arriving home first would eat all of them and then proceed to hide any evidence that there were even snacks to begin with. So growing up, I would be hungry and I would think, man, I really wish I had something to eat and I'd be tired and famished <laughs> and I'd have to chew on an old piece of fish sausage. Ugh, um, fish sausage. Whenever- what even is that? <laughs> Have you heard of that before? It's Kamaboko. It's it's like a it's like a, like what fa- like crab meat like fake crab with a K is made. Okay, out of. okay. Um, uh, and then whenever my sister's evil doings came to light, a fight would erupt, and this would occur on a near daily basis. And I would feel such a sense of exclusion and ill will towards them that I wouldn't want to even come home. I would only find relief spending a time alone in my room, reading classic manga, and uh, going through my father's collection of art books. So. One of the huge things that always happens in JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, in fact, literally the first plot in Phantom Blood is about siblings fucking with someone and the hero being unable to like reveal the evil and being unable to act or defend themselves. Yes, so you've got uh, Dio and mm-hmm. and the first uh, which what's the first Joe star? Phantom Oh, uh, Jonathan Joe. Jonathan Joe star. Dio and Jonathan Joe star. Dio is adopted. Uh, but yes, that right is that yeah. what you're referring and to? Go- that sibling rivalry. But even further than the sibling rivalry, in subsequent chapters, everything from uh, from basically going throughout, each individual JoJo villain usually finds a way to corner one of the heroes and fuck with them and give them a sense of being trapped in an un like winnable situation. To the, and like usually they're like sadistic, teasing. And, like, yeah, because of the nature of stands, which are these psychic projections that uh, Araki ends up invoking in in a bunch of his uh, a bunch of his work, uh, the outside world is unaware of the torture that is befalling the hero. And that psychological conflict between torturer and, like, victim is so familiar to, like, a sibling hatred relationship. And in addition to this, um, so many villains in JoJo... Uh, end up becoming part of the squad. Uh, mm. uh, uh, someone mm-hmm. on YouTube referred to them as Joe Bros. There's always the JoJo and then the squad of Joe Bros yeah. getting his back, usually providing commentary to fights. Yes. Um, and the way that, you know, someone who was at one point a sadistic villain intent on, like, torturing you, then becoming a close friend is very similar to how a lot of sibling rivalries kind of resolve. Yes, exactly. I, I'm sorry for distracting you like this. This is a point that was burning in my brain Please. the more research I was no, doing. No, and 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 uh, I love it because I, I I didn't have some and of for those. a childhood audience like on a like it's just such like a raw emotion that like really resonates throughout JoJo. That reading it, I'm like, I I felt that like I felt that like just anger and helplessness because someone is just fucking with you and you cannot do anything about it so he's stuck in his room a lot and as you mentioned he's loving his father's art books quite a bit especially a french artist named paul gauguin uh it is he is a pro- uh, gauguin i can't go Gauguin. Gauguin. I can't. french french gauguin that's what i usually do if i'm trying to do french he's a post-impressionist recognized for his experimental use of color and the synthesis style uh style rather the melding of three features is what makes up the synthesis style the outward appearance of natural forms the artist's feeling about the subject and the purity of the aesthetic considerations of line color and form uh believed in pure color 
as I quote, everything must be sacrificed to it. Forget the conventional use of color you were being taught in art academy and paint the colors you saw in front of you using brilliant color. So it was like a, a dist- like a distorted world color color wise mm-hmm. in the sense that you you're 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 drawing the beautiful colors you see not necessarily what is like the the, the, the colors realistic colors yes the colors you feel right i think and this is a very important point for jojo the colors in jojo the palette of jojo is is fantastic mm-hmm. and and abs- based on Araki's own color work when he mm. uh, makes color illustrations and does color versions of the artwork and so it's 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 very beautiful it's a very and again it kind of exudes that um that rock and roll aesthetic, especially like '80s rock, you mm-hmm. know, it has a very '80s kind of palette to it a little bit. You know what you I mean? You got some strong pastel, although pastel. It's, well, it's, it's like, like 80s, purples and pinks. But that's also gorgon. Yeah, yeah, that's gorgon. So in one, you know, when uh, Araki does color work, at one point the sky can be yellow and the trees are purple, and then something happens in the narrative, and now the sky is like blood red, and like the trees are foreboding dark blue. Right. Like it's not about. Uh, realism it's about expressing emotion which again is why people that watch and uh read jojo feel this visceral like impact as they watch it as they consume it so he also loved some other mangas there was orewa tepe um about a young boy a wild wild island kid that one day finds out he is from a prestigious family um and that actually got him to join his local kendo club in middle school which is uh like a, a that's japanese a, wood sword fights yeah it's a martial art right like like it, fencing, and then another one, uh, probably maybe the most important one is Babel Two, which I believe we brought up on this show before because it has influenced other things. Babel Two uh, is about a Japanese schoolboy who learns he is the reincarnation of an alien entity, and he gets his powers. He gets powers and has three magical protectors, and I think that that is clear. If you know more about JoJo and Stans, which we'll get into later, it definitely makes a lot of sense that that would be a big influence on him. Um, influ- it was influential for the concept of combat defined by special rules or laws, and that is such a huge part of JoJo. Is essentially establishing rules to a showdown and then twisting them and finding the loophole in them. Right, yeah, um, so much of what jo- an episode of JoJo is all about. I guess, do we need to say this right now? Jo- how would you define the show to anybody who's listening right now who maybe has no idea what this is and is like, you know, curiously looking at Google images of of what this is as we speak at their desk? You know what I mean? Um, and I would because say, I, I would say at least by season three, I think this is a little less so in the first season, but by se- or rather by season two, part three, Stardust Crusaders and Diamonds Unbreakable is like Monster of the Week, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's a Monster of the Week with people um, with these big strong like a group of strong strong dudes who have what they're like stands, you know. I guess maybe almost like into almost like Pokemon or something. Like they have they have a special fighter that fights for them that has uh, different special abilities. And they all look, again, I'll use the word fabulous. Mm -hmm. They all look fabulous and wonderful. I love how just like the final stands in um, Stardust Crusaders are so, like they have hearts everywhere. There's like hearts all over them and stuff like that. But then they're also just like giant muscle monsters. And it's just such a contrasting look, you know, like we were talking about before. But anyways... Um, that is, I guess, how, in a nutshell, I describe it. it. Would you would you add to that or detract from that? Uh, 
it evolves because uh, as the more we get into Iraqi, the more uh, you realize that these are the uh, whims and like fanciful daydreams of a man who, since he was a teenager, had been locked in his apartment drawing every day of his life to meet weekly deadlines. Mm-hmm. So uh, while it's it's easy to well, it's it's you the urges to make all these sweeping generalizations the fact is is that the the actual the work evolves and adapts and yes. twists yes. as he's going that's why Again, i'm so glad like I wrestling back. yeah week to week yeah. the games change uh the attitudes change the aesthetics change uh that's why i'm so happy i went back and mm-hmm. and started from the beginning to see that evolution because it's definitely not like it takes it takes two parts one season to get to what stardust crusaders is and that feels like when he finally really kicked into his flow i think essentially and then the, evolved it from there the thing with stands is it's a much more visually interesting take on the psychic battle yeah because initially i think what he was going for was kind of that uh he mentions akira as a landmark work that ah. kind of like this blockbuster uh uh, uh this blockbuster story where like uh, a psychic battle in Akira is just two people going like, uh, and then shit's exploding around them. Yeah. Uh, which, when it gets to the Dio fight, they kind of bring back that unease and mystery because they can't like see it. Right. But uh, in with the use of stands, you have a physical creature acting on the world, even though it's just through. It's technically uh, just psychic powers manifesting themselves, like yeah. uh, Jotaro. Is this, you know, this delinquent uh, 15-year-old. I know, it's 15. Um, (laughs) I love, too, that they're all, like, teenagers that look like giant fucking I still don't look as old as as Jotaro looks. Uh, But he has this, the the, the manifestation of his psychic power, of his soul, is this stoic, like, ancient warrior. Right, right. Um, The uh, Avdol's stand is this, like, flamboyant... A chicken-headed wizard, like you know, it's all—it's supposed to relate back to each other. But then they do this weird stuff where it's like, but some people's stands are tarot cards, and they represent yes. tarot cards. Yeah. Or some people's stands are Egyptian Which gods. Which I loved, by the way. I loved the tarot thing. Yeah. It was so cool. Because again, it's Iraqi just picking and choosing all this cool shit he wants to incorporate, and less so uh, something that you can summarize. So uh, going back to his kind of entry as a child into the world of creating manga, a school friend praises him for his manga one day, and he begins to secretly draw it behind his parents' back. He starts uh, submitting it to publishers, but all of his work is rejected. Uh, He uh, got to a point where he was like, and I've felt this way before. I should actually do what he did, where you get to the point where your shit gets rejected, but you never get, like, notes on why it was rejected. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? I have sent in so many packets to to TV shows and things like that, and you never – you actually don't even find out your shit was rejected. You just find out, oh, I guess they staffed that show, which I guess means they didn't staff me on that show. And you always wonder, like, why, right? Mm -hmm. Like, like, what am I doing wrong? I'll never improve unless someone tells me. So he gets up – Goes to Tokyo to Shuisha Inc., which is, uh, you know, the publisher of Weekly Shonen Jump and all of those different um, different magazines. And had, well, you know, the story is technically um, 
the way he tells it is he intended to visit Shogakukan Publishing. Oh, okay. Which produced uh, a different Shonen magazine called Shonen uh, Sunday. Okay. Because this was still in the early 80s when, uh, you know, they hadn't had the big Dragon Ball boom yet. Ah. But he found the uh, building of of uh, Shogakukan too intimidating because it was very large <laughs> and had like a busy front like uh, lobby. <laughs> so he instead uh, walked to the smaller wow. Shueisha building next door. Wow. And he had an editor there review his work. Um, it was a work he stayed up all night before working on. It was a manga that would later be his first manga called Poker Under Arms. And this editor criticized it heavily, but he also saw that it had potential and asked him to clean it up for the upcoming Tezuka Awards. Now, the Tezuka Awards is a manga award offered by Shueisha designed to cultivate new artists. Um, so uh, this this ends up working out very nicely for him. He ends up leaving university in order to make his debut in 1980 with his Wild West one-shot, Poker Under Arms, uh, it be- it, as it becomes a selected work at the Tezuka Awards, which is a very important for young uh, artists, th- these awards. These are this is like kind of the break a way to kind of break out and break in. He technically didn't win a winning Tezuka. No, nope, pr- just selected work. Right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, some a lot of years there are there is no Tezuka prize awarded ah. because that's actually a huge like that person gets like a huge cash bonus and like a contract. Yeah. Um, but. Uh, Araki was obsessed with becoming a successful manga artist. He talks about uh, getting, yeah, about the rejection. And he's obsessed with the first page because a lot of manga editors would get a uh, packet with the artist in front of them, get a look at the first page and just go, no, we don't want this. This Mm -hmm. isn't our style. This isn't like, this is hack. We have too many of these already. And just put it away. And in his own uh, book about making manga that came out a couple of years ago, like 30 pages are dedicated to just getting an editor past the first page. Wow. Yeah. Um, and again, he was a teenager and was obsessed with doing manga and saw other teenage artists getting signed up. So like getting uh, poker under arms, Buso poker uh, seen and like, and, uh, and picked up was like something very important for him. I tried to find more about poker under arms. Were you able to get any understanding it. of uh, kind of the deal with it? Uh, it's, uh, it, it's actually highly reminiscent of other, uh, of like stuff we'll see in Jojo. Um, uh-huh. yeah, it's very violent. Uh, there is a very key poker showdown where two people sit across the table from each other, trying to read each other's intentions. Okay. Well, and that, each especially other the one, the Darby episodes that I just saw. Yeah. Raw. Oh, they're so good. Uh, with the gambler. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. No, no, no. Um, okay, so his first serialization ends up being uh, a manga called Cool Shock BT. It is uh, in 1983. This is uh, hitting the stands. Young, a young magician who solves mysteries is the general subject of the manga. It was also called Devil Boy BT. It got a serialization in Weekly Shonen Jump from 82 to 83. It's got it's six chapters. Uh, I love this synopsis that I found. You'll meet him at 1313 p.m on Friday the 13th. He'll do an uncanny intro where he plays a trick on you. And wherever he goes, trouble seems to always follow. Who is this person who creates such incidents? None other than Cool Shock BT. It's another thing Araki mentions in his manga guide is 
uh, all of after Poker Under Arms, all of his series uh, are feature the name of the main character prominently mm. because he believes that a good manga is sold on the strength of its main character. That you want the protagonist to be someone that you're intrigued by mm. and someone whose adventures you want to follow. So yeah, and uh, uh, BT was actually a uh, already he was like kind of dealing with like macabre and like uh, taboo subjects. Because by using um, the uh, what's an acronym for the main character at the, uh, at the time, TV news broadcasts would report on juvenile delinquents and crimes and hide their names by using acronyms. Ah, so BT was like a coded like this is a fucked up guy. <laughs> so after that came Bayo, a nineteen 19- bow. Bow, bow, a nineteen eighty four manga series. You can um, watch the whole thing on YouTube. It's bloody as fuck. That's what I was about to say. This one was uh, noted for being particularly gory, kind of ushering in his particular uh love for violence and gore kind of upping it upping it Mm -hmm. to kind of what we get to with jojo it's about a 17 year old named ikuro hashizawa who is kidnapped and turned into bow a bioweapon with superhuman strength and other abilities by the doris laboratory he escapes with the help of sumire a nine-year-old psychic girl professor kasuminome head scientist at doris sends various assassins and goons get gang to try and kill Ikuro and means of stopping the bow virus from spreading and infecting the world. So that sounds a lot more like Stardust Crusaders for sure. I mean, um, the, the bow's signature uh, kind of weapon are these like forearm blades that curve like back towards the elbow. Cool. And those come back in a big way in part two with the villain of Cars. Ah. And uh, in the JoJo fighting game, I forgot, not Eyes Under Heaven or whatever, but the other one. Uh, that came out for like PS3, PS4. Uh, you can bow is like a hidden character that you can unlock. Did you watch the OVA? Um, or the nineties one? No, yeah, I guess it just came bits Studio and pieces. Piero, who did uh, uh, Bleach and Naruto, they uh, adapted it into an OVA. In Satoshi Kone worked on them, mm. uh, which is a you know notable Japanese fil- uh, anime film director. Uh, there's definitely a pedigree of people who did work on it. I just never quite got it. Uh, the dub is like a little bit weird. Um, I played like the 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 original fighting game, the 2D fighting game a bunch. There were a lot of early internet memes about it, like Mudada, like a lot of like stuff you don't even like realize were JoJo memes. Huh. Uh, that's that's another thing that if we have time, we'll get into just why JoJo's is so memeified. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But what I mean, it's just it's when something is that specifically. Uh, I, I keep thinking about the. Uh, this is kind of hard to explain. The ending credits. With the uh, kid with the fortune telling book, that that has this crazy animation. Oh, oh, yeah, that's uh, that's like Araki calls that his storybook style. Yeah, and it's he, awesome. It comes back, you know, that's <laughs> so good. The tarot card illustrations are in that yeah, style. Yeah, so the kid, the kid has this book that uh, this like picture book that tells the the destiny, right? And the yeah. animation in the book is so fascinating to me and that song at the end they 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 they, it's very playful in this sense like the end of that the the there are two different episodes that have the kid with the book right Mm -hmm. or i guess four maybe technically is they're probably i forget if it's it's oingo or boingo or mondata because 
Well, yeah, we have to talk about that. Uh, the music names or yeah. whatever. Yeah. So, anyways, the end of the, the the ending credits for just these episodes has a completely different style. It's got this weird that weird animation, his his book animation, and it's got um this song that has been stuck in my head for like two days. That is the weird. It is the weirdest. No, it's yeah, it's like yes, exactly. It is so, so strange and interesting. But that that energy, that off kilter like thing, keeps you on your toes because you genuinely don't know like what exactly is you're in you're 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 kind of in you're you're in for. Uh, One of the most uh, like holy shit moments. Uh, I've ever had watching the show was the fucking uh, in part four the Italian restaurant episode. Yes, is so good. Just a, like one off, never mentioned so again. Strange. Italian food horror <laughs> jaunt. <laughs> I loved that one, dude. Just that one's in the fr- earlier episodes. Cronenbergian so yes. body horror. Yes. based around Italian food. Mm-hmm, uh. mm-hmm. It's it's got a very like um, uh, how to cook for humans. Feel, you know, or how to cook uh, to serve man to serve man or how to serve man kind of vibe to it. Right. It, don't worry, guys. It has a happy ending. Uh, exactly. And and um, yeah, I mean, it, just all of the vibes of the, we'll, we'll talk more about the intros and the outros to the show. But all all of it's like exciting whenever you see a new mm-hmm. Jojo's intro that you haven't seen before. It's like always kind of an event. You're like, oh, awesome. This is a new song. They switch intros like three different times in Stardust Crusaders. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I remember from the very beginning uh, how to how uh, Mary, how about we, we get some um, Diamond is Unbreakable right now. It's just it's it's just got such a, a specific vibe and flair to it. And and that intro song, wildly different from the other intro song we've already played for you. And the contrast is always so much fun to see. So anyways, going back to right before he starts making JoJo um, in our timeline, he makes the gorgeous Irene. Irene is a professional assassin who is able to transform into any type of woman using her makeup power, but instead of killing in cold blood, she uses her abilities for good. He developed his uh, signature art style of buff, muscular characters in this, um, but he does admit to being embarrassed of Irene's character since it reflects his ignorance of women during his youth. Um, this work also did greatly resemble the works of Hisashi Eguchi, who was known for his art of female characters. And his editor, uh, Ryosuke Kabashima, got really angry at him and told him to never draw something as derivative again. And I think that this is kind of the defining moment in his career to create, you know, the iconic, epic, still running. <laughs> Jojo's Bizarre Adventure. Uh, this, this is when he realizes he needs to strike out and really make something that is wholly, wholly, completely unique. It's still, like I said earlier, it's still derivative of things, but it's so many things. I feel like as long as you're being influenced and open to all different influences all over the map and create something that is your personality, using all of those things, kind of throwing them into the pot, 
then you get something really unique and interesting. So he wanted to use a classical method as a base and then introduce modern elements in the singular. So he often draws a realistic style, but then uses surreal colors. That's always kind of, so you've got this like very playful color palette, but then you also have these incredibly classic looking body forms and everything. And um, I think a lot of that has to do with, he took a trip to Italy. Um, and when he did this, he took a trip to Italy in his 20s, and he gets really into a bunch of different things, but he's studying Michelangelo's sculptures, um, and he's studying the contraposto, which is when a figure stands with one leg holding its full weight, and the other leg is relaxed. I think, imagine Michelangelo's David while I explain this. The classic pose causes the figure's hips and shoulders to rest at opposite angles, giving a slight S-curve to the entire torso. Uh, so you're at rest, but you're prepared to take another step at a moment's notice. If you've seen any JoJo poses, that is the exact definition of kind of their, at least their basic, like, foothold stance. Um he was also, uh, during this trip to Italy, he visited the Galleria Borghese, uh, Borghese. It is a gallery in Rome that houses Gian Lorenzo Bernini's sculpture, Apollo and Daphne. And he described this as overwhelmingly beautiful and intense. So he, he, he takes these back with him and uh, combines it with that Galgen uh, palette mm-hmm. and and really starts to create something that is m- very very unique and interesting in terms of in terms of a, a piece um he also was really interested in being able to draw real spirits in jojo so he he took a lot of trips to the kappa river in tono iwate to get a better understanding of the concept this is a home to mischievous water spirits which typically described as being the size of a child six to ten years of age and resembling a cross between a turtle monkey and lizard which is depicted as having a shell on their back similar to a turtle's having large webbed hands and feet and having a beak like uh, mouth and this is kind of some of the things especially later with the stands we definitely uh end up getting getting to see um he he's he's just playing around with different things he he's with for his villain he wants it to be um he wants his villain to have some kind of motivation that people can connect with and i think that that was another thing that drew him apart from other shonen manga right mm-hmm. it wasn't just like you know evil ass frieza or something like I that mean, dio is pretty evil Dio's he, super evil don't actually, get me wrong but uh he drew upon the again this was the 80s very popular uh fad of serial killer profiles mm. so he gave dio like a background and like a psychology as to why he would be so like just singularly focused on power and preserving his like beauty and 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 uh, agency it's, above the lives of anyone around him it's one of the, it's like the ugly duckling kind of thing he dio comes from a poor family with a father and i quote with no redeeming qualities whatsoever giving dio motivation to acquire power and get revenge on the world because it's like you know you you can't you can't necessarily blame somebody for getting pissed off that they got a fucking raw deal. And then also for seeing somebody who's got a sweet-ass deal, like uh, uh, Everyone uh, Jonathan, in, yeah. Jonathan Joestar, it's like, you know, y- y- of course he's going to be motivated to either um, take what he has or, or at least hate the guy for having it, you know? But then once he becomes a vampire... Uh... <laughs> oh, by the way, uh, Dio becomes a vampire... 
<laughs> well, I mean, I guess it's more once Dio becomes the severed head of a vampire that then attaches himself to the corpse of his yes. enemy. And then uh, through using cellular buds, uh, imp- like mentally impregnates an army of slaves around him. <laughs> Again, I can just say this and it won't matter. It's you're just it's just going to whatever. Um, uh, you didn't the, even mention the stone mask, but that's fine. Yeah, yeah, I didn't mention the stone mask. Um, <laughs> the the narcissism and sociopathy at the core, like no matter like that, it's it's kind of you know, uh, all of the, all of the old reasons kind of fall apart, and just the raw like charismatic fucking darkness and of Dio kind of reveals itself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and that's fascinating. It's it's kind of amazing. Um, uh, I want to talk about a few other influences that kind of created uh, this this new pathway of design for for uh, Araki. I, a big part of it is definitely, you know, I, I think we're getting across that. And this was one of my favorite finds for me because it made so much sense looking at JoJo because I couldn't quite put two and two together of what JoJo was exhibiting to me. That sculpt, that classical Roman sculpture effect is mm-hmm. is in full force in his work but he was also a, a fan of fashion illustration and uh he was he was very influenced by antonio lopez which is a fashion illustrator whose work appeared in vogue l new york times look up this guy's work if you're a jojo fan you will immediately be like holy shit that is totally like the pathway to jojo design he uh liked to explore themes of queer desire and race in his art through cultural references to subjects he liked big colorful poses as we also get with jojo another influence from the fashion world tony viramontes uh, again, look his stuff up. It is very interesting to see in comparison to the JoJo illustrations, the JoJo manga and anime. Um, uh, he's an American fashion illustrator and photographer for, v- again, Vogue, Mary Claire, Women's Wear Daily, etc. He liked distorted, broad faces was a big part of his influence. And then on the other side of this coin, and this is what I, again, what I think makes, so you've got Roman sculpture, fashion illustration and then the last kind of piece de la resistance you know besides the whole rock and roll thing and the horror movie thing is the 1980s action movie uh big hero aesthetic the big muscular physique of stars like arnold schwarzenegger and sylvester salone iraqi would wonder who's the strongest person in the world and he and then then this fed into his work this kind of these big fucking you know badass heroes but wearing pink and purple with hearts knee pads and stuff like that um and then just shredding people to pieces (laughs) and it makes for such a fascinating and then and then to have you know we haven't gotten into the the rock and roll names and stuff but then that mixed in as well all these like all these references to like awesome music as well so it just it just immediately is on its own fucking track so and there's it's awesome. so here's this guy again alone stuck day after day making manga and he it's his job to draw interesting things he wants to draw things that makes him interested in drawing it and hopefully makes the reader stand up and notice him uh, because again, he doesn't want to be ignored. He doesn't want to be passed over. So, what we have is like almost this hermit outsider art, where he's just crafting images that make him like that communicate beauty and power and emotion and like agony and violence and triumph, but with no. But he's not trying to copy anyone else. He's not like reading other people's like you know. He's not reading Dragon Ball and being like, oh fuck, I'll just do Dragon Ball. Right. He's like forging his own path ahead w- before the rules were ever written. Mm-hmm. 
um, and then while other um, while other like creators will kind of just stall out, I'm thinking of series like Bleach or Naruto or uh, you know kind of uh, shonen shows that kind of did their thing, and now there was there was nowhere else for them to go, and they kind of just sputter out. Araki just kind of took the initiative to just like put hard stops to just be like, this guy's done. We're going to a new I, character I, at a new place. That was the big thing I was about to say. In fact, one of the big rules he was breaking was saying, killing off his main character, starting fresh the next season in a completely different time period. Some of the main characters roll over, you know, um, uh, I'm, I'm getting my Jojo's mixed up. Jotaro is, uh, Jotaro Kujo is part three is part three, right? Yada, so, yada, does it. But Jotaro is supporting cast in, in Diamond is Unbreakable, Part Four. Right. So I mean, the you, same way that uh, Joseph Joe Star was uh-huh. supporting cast, even though he was like pretty much a completely different character. Yeah, in Indiana Jones, very different character uh, in Part Three. Uh, so, so yeah, it, that was breaking the rules in a huge, huge way, um, because you know. It, they always usually it's like we have our main char- characters and cast characters that we get behind you know and build them for for season after season after season i mean you still in dragon ball uh super it was the last mm-hmm. one right uh i mean goku's still you know who is who is who's the protagonist of dragon ball super goku's still goku and yeah yeah so i mean it, it's one of those but in this and in fact that's one of the things that really draws me to it is that you know every season i get a new opening a new, a new vibe, a new cast of characters, give and take, and uh, it it makes it so much more exciting. It makes I am just reading ahead at what the future of the show ends up being like, or what the manga has been putting out. I am like way excited to read or watch Steel Ball Run. Like, oh, really excited about I mean, it. It looks so cool. And I'm just understand? like, fuck, I want to I get this right now. I want to start getting the manga just to get into it. Do you know how many creators wished they did what Iraqi could, did in Jojo's Bizarre Adventure? Because to create Steel Ball Run, he hit a hard reset, in, in canon, hard reset button on his entire universe up until that point. Yeah, he went alternate universe for that one, right? It, new universe. Yeah. The old universe was gone. Again, the way they got there is incredibly fascinating, and I almost like don't want to spoil all okay. that. But it, they do get there with they do something. They don't just go like, here you go. Yeah, yeah. It's not like cut to um, to the point where uh, people initially weren't even sure if Steel Ball Run, which is I believe part seven. Yeah, it's part seven. Uh, was even still JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. They thought he really did it this time, but then as more and more elements were reintroduced, people were like, okay, this is JoJo. <laughs> Um, so let's kind of give them a basic rundown of the parts as they are. The part one of Phantom Blood is 1880s Great Britain with Jonathan Joestar and Dio Brando, as we discussed, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and there's vampires and there's Hammond Powers. There's a character named Will A. Zeppeli, which is uh, the Hammond master that teaches Jonathan Hamon. how to do his thing. Hamon. The Ripple. And uh, the former street thug Robert E.O. Speedwagon, mm-hmm. who uh, is is uh, assists him as well. Um, 
he definitely wanted to create uh, he, he created this using the key show ten ketsu structure which uh, each one of those uh, is Japanese for this introduction development twist and resolution which is a definitely a process he uses uh, episode by episode as we go especially once he just gets to the monster of the week style of, of, of storytelling um, in Stardust Crusaders uh, he also uh, wants there to be um, the uh, the he also has uses the rule of rising and falling. A hero must grow over time in relation to their starting point. Vice versa, an, a villain must fall uh, from their starting point as time goes on. His theme for this one is being alive, and this is his overall theme for the entire show or manga: an affirmation that humanity is wonderful. Uh, humanity's ability to grow and overcome hardships through one's strength and spirit. So that was like kind of the big theme there. Then we move on to uh, battle tendency. Uh, and we're introduced to a new JoJo, uh, Joseph Joestar, where mm-hmm. Jonathan was basically like a knight in shining armor, a proper gentleman with a very strong sense of justice and propriety. He, he wanted him to, to uh, function as a symbol of purity and dignity uh, and and in order because he was the first Joe star, right? right. So he's got to kind of set the palette, uh, set the stand. Joseph is kind of a wise ass, kind of mm-hmm. a fuck about. He didn't gain his hormone powers initially through training. He was just kind of born with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. In fact, uh, <laughs> and this is by the way in New York City in 1938. Right. Uh, one of the first things that happens to him is that he is attacked in a way very similar to how the first Joe star uh, is killed. And he effortlessly basically just shuts it down. Mm -hmm. And it's a very bold declaration that, like, this series will change. These characters will be replaced and, like, things are going to be different. Like, keep your eyes on this fucker. And the villain is the Pillar Men, uh, (laughs) by the way. It's not Dio for this season. It's a completely different kind of villain set connected to Dio. But they're trying to get an artifact that will grant them immortality. And they're, like, bad fucking ass. It's, they're just they're just incredible. They're naked Aztec. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what's it? Uh, I mean, there's several pillar men, but the main three are Whamu, ACDC, and Cars. <laughs> and again, the just the names are so great. I made a little list of some of the names of all the music references, but for some reason, I just can't get enough of that. Uh, uh, that's also the, the one that has the at the end of the Nazis help. But whatever, let's get into it. Forget about it. Uh, but that is... Yes, the Nazis are involved in, in battle tendency. Uh, that gives way to part three, which jumps to the 1980s. Joseph is now an older man. Stardust Crusaders, which is the one we've been talking about quite a lot, as that is kind of, again, like I want, like I it's say... It's the most popular one. It's the one where it exploded in popularity. It was mm-hmm. the one that was so good or so popular that they did make that 90s push to try and bring it to America, even though it didn't take. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Jotaro Kujo must save his mother by hunting down Dio with the help of his father Joseph, the Egyptian fortune teller Mohammed Avdal, the French swordsman Jean-Pierre Polnareff, and uh, the transfer student Noriaki Kakyoin. Um, oh, no. oh, and how could I forget the stray dog Iggy? Uh, while Joseph was this hot-blooded, wise-ass character, Jotaro is this cool character. Uh, Araki often compares him to Clint Eastwood. Yes. Uh, in fact, there was a ceremony a couple years back where Clint Eastwood was presented with original artwork of Joseph inspired by him. That's awesome. Um, and I, Dev, I, I, having watched the the final episode with Dio, 
there is such a huge Clint Eastwood moment at mm-hmm. the very end of the series that is so fun. It's just like totally Clint Eastwood. Uh, this one kind of, while it is like a freak of the week because Dio has like legions of loyal assassins. Um, so basically they're presented with a new challenge every, basically every other episode. Uh, you know, they're traveling from Japan to Egypt by land, by sea, by air. Uh, the, the, creativity that the stands allow Araki are very addictive. Each freak presents a unique challenge. Um, Just memorable imagery, memorable uh, characters, uh, weird scatological humor. I'm thinking about Polnareff being confronted with just a fucking pig's head sticking out of a toilet. Yeah. And that's not even like the main uh, it's just a weird gag where they're like, yeah, we're in a fucking dirt country and we have pig (laughs) shit eating toilets. (laughs) Um, also uh, you, you, as you put it, uh, I think one of the strongest things about season, uh, two part three is the, uh, the road trip feel to it. Mm-hmm. He wanted it to be a road trip movie. It was inspired by around the world in 80 days, the classic adventure novel by Frenchman Jules Verne published in 1873, a man and his assistant attempt to circumnavigate the world in 80 days on a 20,000 pound bet in Stardust Crusaders. It's a 50 day situation and they have to make it to Dio. They have to get to Egypt, right? Cairo, mm-hmm. uh, uh, in order to take Dio down, uh, before, um, before he, you know, takes over the world, what? In order to save their, rather, in order to save their, uh, his mother. Um, and there's always these like highly like tense scenarios. Always these traps. Either a character has like a enemy stand like growing on their arm like a fucking vicious tumor, and no one else can see it. Or like uh, a character can like change shapes and could be anyone uh i'm thinking of the battleship uh that, that was is, the mental I, construction I of have, a horny orangutan i have my list of favorite stands and that one's right up there it's, i love you, you the ship episode is so cool because i feel like the ship is the first moment where we're really experimenting it's not just like this stand's gonna fight this stand and we're gonna see what happens in the mm-hmm. ship it was like oh any this this can be anything now they like board this weird ship mm-hmm. and there and there's just this monkey on it this orangutan on it and yeah and it's super horny and then and then they all of a sudden realize like holy shit the whole fucking ship is the stand <laughs> and it's being controlled by this orangutan and then you're like oh wow we can really think way the fuck outside of the box on this show and and i am totally on board for uh, like, my favorite stand is the baby that ends up eating its own shit yes dude <laughs> oh, i'm sorry the clown controlled by the baby yes that ends up eating his own shit death 13 is probably my number one jay lolly ho death 13 just watch the death 13 uh two-parter if you want to just if you're curious about this show death 13 is probably maybe my favorite stand and yes it, it it is it exists inside a, a dream world uh, that is uh, in real life uh, uh, manifested as a baby. It is absolutely fantastic. There's also Anubis, aka the sword that you that if if you pick this sword up, it'll it, it'll take you over because the sword itself stand is Anubis. Um, which one? Cream controlled by Vanilla Ice. Cream is the crazy. It can it is it can eat itself. And inside of its mouth is a void, and you can get sucked into its uh, dark void. Mm-hmm. And the stand user like lives inside it. It's kind of like the mini boss right before Dio. Mm-hmm. It is such a cool stand. It's clearly clearly like super powerful. Uh, actually, one of the most uh, like almost 
perfect encapsulations of what makes a good JoJo fight uh, addictive is the Indulfs uh, fight with Geb the water, like the liquid stand with the blind user. Mm. Because it presents like the exact like situation. Each character has just their own powers to deal with it. And the way that they adapt and try different things and like have this honest to God battle of wits gives you all the thrill and conflict of an anime fight without the bullshit about power levels or yeah, secret yeah. techniques or there's actually a lot less like actual fighting than you would think mm-hmm. in the show. It's more about like logic puzzle. Mm-hmm. than anything else like it's more about getting into a logical uh conundrum and and kind of working and and finding the loophole and working your way out of it you this know? is uh another quote from the iraqi lecture is uh uh, talking about specifically how he did fights was at the time the tournament formula a would fight b b would defeat c stronger character d would show up right was all the craze in shonen jump and i wondered how strong are they going to get wouldn't the entire system collapse as soon as you reach the top <laughs> it wasn't like there's was an infinite number of levels of strength so i decided to try more of an rpg board game style where mm. characters traveled to different places and fought different enemies and individual strengths and weaknesses could be played against each other awesome yeah yeah exactly uh and and i think that, that that's what does make it so great and i think that's why I I mean you you got back into Dragon Ball Super, but I mean that's why I kind of fell off of a show like Dragon Ball. Oh yeah, because you kind of see it for what it is, and you're just like, okay, cool. I mean, I get yeah, it's cool. Like they keep getting more and more powerful than the other and whatever. But you know, um, th- with with JoJo, like you never know what the fuck you're gonna get each episode. You basically generally kind of I'm, I'm watching an episode right now about an invisible baby, mm-hmm. and I'm it's ridiculous. That's one of the most amazing <laughs> things about the the fight is a lot of people, a lot of the time, it's not about, like, you know, fighting. It's about just even trying to figure out what are the rules. Yeah, they're trying to figure out what the stand... I mean, if, for the final, final, final fight of Stardust Crusaders, like, a lot of the lead-up is literally just trying to figure out what Dio's stand does. Mm-hmm. And that discovery is fascinating. And then, once that they discover what it is, they then have to find out, and they have to fully understand all of the rules around what his stand does, and then they have to try to figure out how to smartly uh work around it you know and then that that is really interesting so this world trotting superhero dynamite like action-packed saga comes to a close and what does Araki do next (laughs) fucking small town mystery murder dude diamond is unbreakable and not only small town mystery murder but again we were talking about this kind of like effeminate aesthetic uh layered onto the hero Mm -hmm. it's like Eight million times on Diamond is Unbreakable. Like, fucking, it is so wonderfully bananas, and I love it so much. It is just well, like... Well, the anime production, it's one of the... It's almost... We almost... I, I wish I knew more about, like, David production and the individual staff members because the way they adapt each part and, like, understand how to accentuate each one's strengths are amazing. Because, like, again, even back in part two, they were pretty glammed up. But, right, but this is on another level. But they like leaned into it when they started animating, adapting part four. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, this one takes place in the fictional town of Morio. Yeah, uh, based on Araki's own hometown of Sendai, which was also like a coastal city. 
Um, he describes it as being this like small town where nothing really happened that he was familiar with everyone. And then during the economic boom, all these unfamiliar faces started walking in and like the influence of money and commercialism kind of overtook and made what was once his like familiar home place hmm. kind of more nefarious and more like unfamiliar. Hmm. You know, it's essentially uh, it's set in 1999. So we're getting a lot closer to present day. Jotaro shows up from, you know, Stardust Crusaders. He ended up becoming a marine biologist. He shows it up- does not enter into the plot at all. <laughs> But now he's got anchors on his shit. He shows up to tell uh, Josuke, right? Josuke. That he is actually a descendant of the family and must fight back against a rash of stands arriving in the area due to a mystical bow and arrow that gives people stands. They introduce the bow and arrow there. Um, I thought this quote was kind of interesting from Araki. I frequently get the comment that the enemies in JoJo Part 4 are weak. I think my response to this criticism is quite clear from the work itself. But since I've heard the same complaint from the editorial staff, I'll answer it explicitly. I constructed part four around the theme of mental and emotional weakness. The stands were created by exaggerating the viewpoints of characters consumed by their own flaws. And I really thought that was fascinating. And it really actually redefines a lot of what I've seen so far. And and it'll definitely inform a lot for me watching. Oh, uh, this is something that a lot of fans have pointed out. And I love this is that the ending to part three was this city-busting destruction fest as two, like, primordial, like, ancient, basically, gods fought across an entire city, blowing things up, throwing construction equipment at each other. The end of part four is, like, a wounded teenager and a salaryman hiding from each other in a house. <laughs> like, they're literally playing peekaboo to death. It's a lot more intimate. Like, the fights are a lot, like, feel, like, a little more intimate. You oh, know? absolutely. Uh, uh, they're just, they're... they're they might be smaller, but but they're uh, at times they're they're it's still no less fascinating. Um, so- I almost like it. It's I mean, part three was when I like liked Jojo. But when part four came out, it was the moment I was like, I love. Yeah. Fucking Jojo. I'm so happy to be back. I loved Star- Stardust Crusaders. But at the same time, like as soon as I finished, I immediately, you know, uh, uh, threw on a, a episode from part uh four and i was just like yes i'm so glad to be back here because now i have all of the lead up to what this show is uh, you know that i didn't have when i first started this and now i feel like i know so much i they've established so many things in those other episodes and i just love the style and flair of of uh season three it's just the rat episode so great have i seen i probably have seen the rat episode i mean there's like the weird abandoned house and yes. they're fighting a rat yeah that's again another like if you need a taste that rat episode is like again so good and and really i think captured. the cooking one i love the cooking one but for the cooking one cooking more, one is more of like, like an a off, humorous yeah. off, offset one but it, but those it's so good and then they get into yoshikage kira uh kila kila um and like that's like he's an amazing protagonist uh, not uh, shit i said protagonist <laughs> antagonist because you get uh, you like more so than even Dio. You get in his head, and you like get to understand the logic of his world and how much he doesn't want to be caught, and how like the murders he does, and like you know, it's like any fascinating serial killer story. Uh, this villain is like trying to shut down whoever's like after him, while the Joe Bros are trying to f- hunt down whoever this mysterious killer is. And they're both like playing this weird game of chess against each other. And it's fascinating. It's so addictive. Yeah. 
Plus, like it, it's yeah, the design and the musical choices really, really captures that like late '90s aesthetic. Yeah, dude. Uh, now we're gonna get into the uh, parts. Th- we'll blow past this a little bit yeah. faster, but uh, these are the parts that haven't been animated yet. But they're you know the manga's been well, out. and also I'm I'm like afraid. I'm afeared of of uh, the reactions. I feel like some people are super team manga for JoJo's and are gonna be like. Almost insulted that we're sort of focusing more on that on what's made. In I mean, the if anime. they had to suffer through the Duang translations, they get a gold star. <laughs> they get to be kind of haughty about it. Um, also, did, did you did, you mentioned his book about manga uh, uh, about making it right? Did you get it? So you got to read a little of that. I I didn't get as far into it as I wanted to. I'm glad one of us did. He also has a book about horror that I am dying to read, but it's not been translated yet and i am so sad at least to my knowledge it is it is him like deconstructing horror films and it it looks so fascinating and i really hope they translate it at some point so part five vento areo this was bound to happen after after some point right set in 2001 naples italy of course of course iraqi's got to get to italy right Mm. follows dio's son Who's uh, Giorno Giovanni? Now he, Giorgio, Giorgio, right? Because he is the protagonist of this. Mm-hmm. Because he's actually a good guy in this. Well, they're all mobsters. It's yes. kind of this hyper fabulous, high fashion mob drama. Which I, again, which looks completely really changing gears from yeah. the small town murder, changing gears from the world trotting superhero fight. Changing gears from the fucking kung fu anime, like it. It sounds very interesting to me. He's and it's about his attempt to reform the mafia and protect uh, uh, a mob boss's daughter. Part six, Stone Ocean, the first female protagonist, the first female JoJo, Jolene Cujo. JoJo. JoJo. Uh, set in a 2011 Florida, must fight back against a <laughs> hey, Dio disciple a in a prison. Speaking of 2011 Florida, wasn't that you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think that was probably me. Yeah, uh, this looks. Uh, it's a prison break. It's caged heat. I mean, he even though it's a female protagonist, like uh, he barely. He even admits that he doesn't really have an idea of how to really do girly characters. He admits his own wife was appealing to him because she wasn't too girly for him. He he's married to a woman and has kids. <laughs> like I mean, I as much as I want to be like, oh, this is super homoerotic, right? Like. You know, fucking Kinsey scale, man. We all got shades of everything in there. <laughs> He's just letting his bits fly. Um, so, yeah. And, and then and part seven, Steel Ball Run uh, is probably. Oh, Stone o- so Stone Ocean oh, is yeah, the yeah, one yeah. that kind of culminates everything that he'd built up until this point. Gotcha. It's the one that kind of has the highest barrier to entry because plot points from part. Everything from part one to, I guess, this is part six uh, all comes into play. And uh, it ends with a bang. It ends with a bang. Uh, this is the uh, this is the part where one of the characters stands allows him to control the weather, <laughs> which allows him to control uh, rainbows, which allows him to control light, which allows him to hypnotize people, uh. which allows him to turn people into snails, <laughs> which if you have an issue with how scientifically dumb that is, <laughs> maybe start start slower. Start with a different part. <laughs> So uh, then we move on to part seven, Steel Ball Run. I mentioned this before as being fucking way fascinated in this one and wanting to absolutely pick it up as soon as possible. A lot of people consider this actually the strongest part. An alternate timeline in 1890. It's a cross-country horse race 
that is called Steel Ball Run. You've got Johnny, Joestar, and Gyro Zeppeli working together to stop the President of the United States Funny from his evil plans. His name is Funny Valentine, yeah. Um, it is, uh, he made three trips to America to do research. He studied the Great Plains from the Great Plains. Oh, of the I'm sorry. Do you River. know what the, uh, funny Valentine's plan is? Uh, uh, no. It's to collect the corpse of Jesus Christ, which has been split and That's hidden right. across America. Apparently it was greatly inspired by the film Independence Day because it had a president that fought. Oh so my he was God. like, okay. <laughs> uh, Johnny Joestar is, uh, oh wait, but he also went to Chicago and New York, uh, in order to study America and just understand the vast scale of it. And I, again, just reading that makes me really want to check this out. What were you going to say about Johnny Joestar? Uh, he is, uh, paralyzed from the waist down. Yes. Such an important part. Um, and, uh, even though stands factor into it, they go into great deal, uh, kind of bringing back the idea of fighting techniques and, uh, spin. The idea of like the golden ratio and rotation uh, empowering the abilities that uh, Giro Zeppeli, Gyro, whatever, teaches Johnny and helps them along the uh, helps them along the way. Right. Uh, a lot of really fucked up imagery, a lot of really genuinely bonkers stands that show their face. And Araki kind of shifts his own art style to what we now um, what he, it's currently is where like the faces are much softer. There's like the fashion influence is is all the more apparent, and uh, it's it's kind of amazing to, that just as the way the characters' powers evolve, uh, Araki's own storytelling and art styles also evolve. Mm. And then of course we get to part eight, which is still ongoing now. Uh, and- at this point, it was. Uh, I think I think Steel Ball Run actually shifted it. At a certain point, he was no longer on uh, Shonen Jump and was now in like Shonen Ultra, which was a uh, seinen series, like you know more mature. Yeah. So he was more free to like you know deal with sex and relationships, and the violence could get even more fucked this up. This was the hardest for me to under get a better get a decent general understanding. It was like, okay, there are wall eyes and there's a curse they're trying to break. This one seemed the most like ambiguous to me uh, in terms of what it's doing. Basically it's going back to Morio. So we're back at like the uh, twin peaks kind of okay. uh, David Lynch uh, energy with like some extra Junji Ito fucking body horror thrown into there. Um, a lot of it has not been like written up yet. Uh, the uh, like, I think, Basically, it was hard to look up stuff about Jojolian because even as the original, even as the anime that we love was being created, like so many mysteries still existed about uh, this part. I mean, uh, just going to just going to go right now. uh, uh, The new Josuke in this one uh, was found. He had four balls. He has four balls. He has four (laughs) balls. It's important that you know about this character in his little sailor uniform. He has amnesia and four balls. Uh, his, uh, his stand is like, has this very weird power where he creates bubbles that can like steal the properties of things. So Hmm. the one that like ended up in fighting games a bunch is that, uh, he like, he could create a bubble. It would hit someone. And then like, he stole friction from you and then he pushes them and he just goes flying away, (laughs) (laughs) which is again, raw imagination, singular vision. It's, this is the kind of shit that like. Is what comics were made for. Right, right. 
yeah, so I think that's a good recap of, of you know, where, where the manga is at now and, mm-hmm. and back where the uh, anime has left off. By the way, I've watched all of this on Hulu. Uh, I'm, I think you, it's also all on Crunchyroll as that's well. That's where I watched it. Um, do you, you watch it with the sub, right? I watch it with the sub. Uh, I think the dub is, is – are they still producing the dub? Uh, I'm not sure. I, I it's sub only on Hulu, so I, I. It's the voice acting is so incredible. Yeah, yeah. Like it honestly, I can't even imagine any of these characters. Some of the different. greatest Japanese screaming I have ever <laughs> heard in my life. Um, yeah, I, I I don't know how much there is more to say. I uh, do have a list of albums that makes Araki cry. Do you want to hear them? Uh, yeah. All right, that would be. Uh, this is. These are my top ten from the seventies in no particular order. You might love them or hate them, but I guarantee if you listen to them, you'll cry. <laughs> Led Zeppelin, Physical Graffiti, Chicago, uh, the album Chicago Seven, uh, Saturday Night Fever soundtrack, Curtis Mayfield, Superfly, uh, What's Going On by Marvin Gaye, Late for the Sky by Jackson Brown, Dark Side of the Moon by Pink Floyd, Never Mind the Bollocks by Sex Pistols. That one always brings a tear to my eye. <laughs> Breezin by George Benson, Now and Then by The Carpenters. I also have his top horror films. Um, do you want to hear him? Yeah. His top horror films. Uh, I think there's a few lists out there, but this is the one I have. Zombie, The 78 Director's Cut, Jaws, Misery, I Am Legend, Ninth Gate, Alien, Ring, the TV version, The Mist, Final Destination, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Deliverance, The Blob, 28 Days Later, Basket Case, which I'm so happy he's a lover of Basket Case. That makes so much sense. Everyone should see Basket Case. Uh, And then Sleeping with the Enemy, No Country, The Exorcist, Funny Games, but the 07 U.S. remake of Funny Games, which is interesting to me, Hostile and Wrong Turn. And again, 70s, 80s rock and roll music and uh, horror films, massive influence on Araki and the TV show. Um, One of the things that is very funny about enjoying JoJo with the subtitles is the fact that due to the variations in intellectual property laws, uh, they like the official names of certain characters in English can't be what they are in Japan. Yeah. And that Araki never even gave that a moment's thought when creating these characters means that in order to be faithful to the to the thing that everyone wants to be faithful to, it really twists and turns where like uh, you know, there's a character named Jay Giles, and people would be like, "Oh, Jay Giles!" And then the subtitles is like Centerfold. Oh no, it is Centerfold <laughs> because it has to also like kind of relate to it. Right, right. Uh, Terrence Darby is the name of a famous musician, so they just call him Darby Younger. <laughs> um, Killer Queen again, Queen song, yep. but now in the subtitles it's Deadly Queen. My favorite is uh, where is it? Oh, I, it's. Uh, it's bad company. There was a there was a character whose stand was bad um, company, and they literally in the subtitles just had to say "worse company." <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Uh, it's um, yeah. Highway Star becomes Highway Go Go. <laughs> St- uh, what's what's another really dumb one? Um, <laughs> Boy to Men becomes Boy Man Man. <laughs> Even a crazy diamond, which is Josuke's stand, has to be Shining Diamond. Yeah. Uh, Vanilla Ice is Cool Ice. <laughs> Even uh, John Pierre Polnareff, like if you like, it's very weird. His official name in English, because John Polnar- Pierre Polnareff is a French musician, is John Pierre Eiffel. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
All right. Well, I think I I that about covers it for me. I I, I think we've covered this pretty well myself. Jake, is there anything you wanna you wanna go out on here? Uh, any final words on JoJo's Bizarre Adventure? Um, it was very intimidating to do this episode, yes. uh, especially for something as beloved as JoJo's. Uh, the meme that uh you know it's is that a motherfucking jojo's reference is like <laughs> omnipresent and the fact is is that um technically even by today's standards even though this is such a omnipresent thing in our culture modern nerd culture on the internet uh very few people actually engage with this work in japan it's immensely popular it's you know up there millions of fans but in terms of raw view numbers oh for sure it's it's not like that popular but the few people that do watch it, it leaves a lifetime impression. I'm so hooked, man. I, I absolutely adore this show. It's and fantastic. As I said in the beginning, we set a bunch of plot points. It doesn't matter. It mm. is impossible to ruin this show. I still don't fully understand truly why I love it as much as I do, but I just can't because stop watching it. Because it's a fucking it. Freudian psychosexual <laughs> fucking eight-course meal. It's fascinating, man. It's fascinating. Are you kidding me? It is a bisexual holocaust. <laughs> Of emotion and gore and destruction. And with that, we're uh, uh, check us out on Patreon. Follow me at <laughs> Bisexual Holocaust on Twitter. <laughs> uh, uh, check us out on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash whizbrute. Nicholas Petkoski, man, thank you so much for your patronage, and it was a pleasure to do this episode for you. Um, also, you can follow me on uh, Twitch, twitch.tv forward slash holdnatorsho. Follow me on Twitter at BestJakeYoung and uh, check out things on the Dorkly channel on YouTube uh, where I lend my voice and words to stuff. Hell yeah. All right, everybody. Have a good one. Hey, Mom. First things first, thank you. It's my one-year anniversary of my decision to say, yes, I need help, and yes, I choose me. And that's the miracle. I'm lucky that the strongest person I know is my own mother. Love you, Mom. Maxwell. Be that strong person who makes the difference. If your loved one is struggling with drugs and alcohol, reach out to Karen for a different kind of addiction treatment. Visit caron.org slash lost. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.